Welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director. Shalom and welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program. In each of the three great high holidays, Rosh Hashanah, the New Year, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, and Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles, there are beautiful, glorious gems hidden in these holidays by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that enable us to see Jesus in a whole new way. Beyond a yearly calendar of holy convocations, the feasts found in Leviticus 23 as a whole point us to a much deeper understanding of the gospel. Bobby, I just know that you love the feasts. Yeah, I'm excited about this because we're specifically going to try to extract some uh, special important points that we as believers, as Christians, can learn about the fall feasts. So let's get started. I'm ready to go. So Mitch, we want to spend some time here, like, uh, like we mentioned, looking at some of these really important points that we as believers can learn and glean from the fall feasts of Israel. Absolutely, Bobby. And there's a, there is a lot to learn. And the three great festivals of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, and Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles, I, I, I consider them a, a road to redemption. It's really a prophetic road to redemption. And sometimes I view it as the setting for the jewel, and the jewel is Jesus. And, you know, when, when you see the jewel in, it, in, the, in the rightful setting, you know, because all these festivals, in one way or another, point to him. It just mm-hmm. shines all the more gloriously. And I hope that our listeners will begin looking at the festivals of Israel's in light of the work, person, and work of Jesus. I think it's going to make it even more meaningful. Right, right. And I, I think one of these points uh, of meaning and substance that we can take uh, from these appointed times, from the fall feasts, uh, one is that. God has a special plan for the Jewish people. I mean, th- this is pretty clear when we look. Uh, as he gave these holidays, as he gave the calendar in Leviticus 23, he gave it for a purpose. He gave it to, to structure the time of the nation of Israel. You're right, Bobby. And, and additionally, God is a God of covenant relationships. And the particular covenant that I think is important is the Abrahamic covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham at that time, Abram. And he promised that to Abram that the Jewish people would be preserved, that the Jewish people would have a land, and that the Jewish people would have a holy purpose. And that holy purpose was to shed the light of God's truth to the Gentiles. And that happens through the festivals of Israel. We read in Genesis 12, 3, I'll bless those who bless thee, curse those who curse thee. And here's the statement, and through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so God chose the Jewish people through a covenant relationship to bless the world. And one of the ways that Israel blesses the world is through the light of God's truth that comes through the festivals. That's right. That's right. And I think when we, when we consider ministry to the Jewish people, we want to understand where they're coming from. We want to understand their worldview, their, their culture, uh, their theological system. And that's another big advantage uh, that we have when we come to these feasts. If we understand what's being celebrated uh, on these holidays, we'll, we'll have a much better grasp and a handle on how to approach the Jewish people and share the gospel. Yeah, I love that. 
and and again, uh, we see that God's plan for the redemption of the world, not just the Jewish people, is clearly revealed uh, in the feasts. I mean, take Passover. Passover points to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right. Uh, you can take uh, the Day of Atonement, uh, where we learn that there's a greater sacrifice. I mean, the book of Hebrews would make no sense without the book of Leviticus. We right. know that there's a better covenant and there's a better way of atonement. And so God has revealed his plan of redemption for sure through the Jewish festivals. Now, when we think about this plan of redemption, I mean, obviously, as believers, we find uh, and we believe that it f- its fullness is found in and through the ministry and the person of Jesus, the Messiah. Right. And these holidays, uh, we can find further evidence uh, that they're connected, not just with the ministry of Jesus the first time he came, but even with the second coming of Messiah. Right. You know, when we look at Rosh Hashanah, the New Year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, we see a lot of connections, uh, prophetic connections, right, uh, with the second coming. Yeah, absolutely. Matthew 23, 37 through 39, and uh, in the end of days, the Jewish people will cry out, Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, that's the very same words that I've used many, many times at a Jewish wedding, a Messianic Jewish wedding in particular. Mm-hmm. And so we understand that the Jewish people have a role in the day to come. And you take a holiday like Yom Kippur. Uh, Yom Kippur is a fast day. It's a day of affliction. But Yom Kippur is also a day when we remember that ultimately what God wants to do among Israel and for all people is to forgive sin. And he forgives sin through the shed blood of a sacrifice. In this instance, of course, it's the sacrifice of Jesus. In in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1, uh, there's a beautiful passage about a fountain for sin and impurity being opened for Israel and for the nations. We understand that it was the sacrifice of Jesus, of which Yom Kippur was a type. It pointed to the sacrifice of Jesus. That's the most important thing that God has done for us. He has provided the Messiah as a Kippurah, or a sacrifice for our sin. And as we look ahead into the future, uh, again, with this idea of uh, the second coming, so beyond the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah, and the ascension of Messiah, when he ascended, he ascended with a promise, with a promise that he's coming back, that he's going to return. And looking at the fall feasts of Israel, um, we see that with Rosh Hashanah in particular, uh, one thing in Leviticus 23 that sort of characterizes the celebration and the worship that takes place on Rosh Hashanah, it's the blowing of the trumpets, blowing right. of the shofar. Okay, Shofar is a, uh, a ram's horn that is traditionally blown in the synagogues on Rosh Hashanah at least a hundred times. And when we look at the return of Jesus, the return of the Messiah, it too will be heralded with the, the sound of the great shofar, the great trumpet blast of the angel of God. I think we need to remember that the Feast of Tabernacles points us forward to the day when God's tabernacle will fill the earth. We see that in John chapter 1, where Jesus is called Uh, the tabernacle of God, and he tabernacled among us. And then you will see it in the kingdom when Jesus returns. 
he will come and dwell on the earth, and the whole earth will become his tabernacle. Why? Because God's faithful to his promises. Romans 11, verses 25 through 29, uh, says that all Israel will be saved. And the salvation of Israel is sort of the linchpin, the key to the second coming of Jesus and the establishment of that um, of that tabernacle. And so we look forward to that great day. And we know that God will not fail. He will keep his promises because the, the plans and promises of God are irrevocable. He, he never breaks his word. He's in, he can't, he's not even capable of breaking his word. And I believe that the festivals, uh, when, when we see the festivals happening, we should be reminded of God's chesed, God's covenant faithfulness to the Jewish people and to the mission of the Jewish people to be a blessing to the world. So Mitch, how can we honor God by celebrating the feasts in these modern times? Well, I have to tell you, we have some fabulous resources on the Chosen People website at uh, chosenpeople.com slash radio. And so you can go there and learn a ton about the Feasts of Israel. And uh, you can also go to our web store, and we've got books. My wife and I wrote a book many years ago, actually entitled The Fall Feasts of Israel. Perfect. And, uh, and you can... You can learn uh, about that as well. But I think the other and probably underlying and most important thing is for Christians to not be afraid of the feasts. Mm. Uh, They were put there by God to help you and your family, particularly your children, learn about the truth of God. And when you can link the festivals to the work and person of Jesus, which, which is so evident once you start studying them that I know that that's going to be a tremendous blessing to you and your home and even to your local church. I mean, invite a chosen speaker in to talk about one of the festivals. We'll, We'll be happy to come. Learn more about the festivals. Don't be afraid of them. They're given by God. They're really gifts and they point to Jesus. And I think that you and your your kids will learn so much from the festivals of Israel. At Chosen People Ministries, our desire is to share the good news of Jesus, Yeshua the Messiah, with Jewish people in ways that are challenging, creative, and compelling. We can only accomplish this mission with the partnership, prayers, and financial support of listeners like you, who have the desire and passion to reach out to Jewish people all over the country and enrich their lives with a message of hope and salvation. If that's you, please connect with us online. You'll find us at chosenpeople.com slash radio, or you can connect with us through the mail or over the phone. For those details and more, visit chosenpeople.com slash radio. Your partnership helps us continue the mission we started over 127 years ago. And for that, we say thank you. And we look forward to hearing from you soon. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. And right now we're going to hear a presentation about the tabernacle and what it reveals to us. This presentation was included in our September newsletter. And if you're not receiving our newsletter, please be sure to go online to chosenpeople.com slash radio and request it today. Or you can visit our YouTube channel so that you can not only hear about each of the components of the tabernacle, but you can actually see them in detail as well. 
We partnered with a wonderful Christian production company to create this virtual 3D model of the tabernacle, which is called Mishkan in Hebrew. And we're hoping that by showing you these special set-apart elements, you'll be able to experience the tabernacle in a fresh and deeper way. So please sit back and enjoy this special presentation on the tabernacle and its portrait of redemption. Hamishkan. The Hebrew word means dwelling place. It was where God dwelled with his people, and its elements show us how to relate with God. After delivering the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, God gave them detailed instructions on how to build this dwelling. Once constructed, the Lord descended on the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud. Curtains separated the whole tabernacle from the rest of the Israelite encampment. In this courtyard was the tabernacle's largest piece of furniture, the altar. A wooden box covered with bronze. The altar was shaped as a square, measuring approximately seven and a half feet long and seven and a half feet wide. From top to bottom, it stood about four and a half feet. Hollow space inside the box allowed priests to insert coals. Above was a bronze grating where priests would lay animals for sacrifice. A horn of one piece with the altar stood at each corner. Four bronze rings under the ledge allowed one to insert carrying poles so the Israelites could transport the altar. Between the altar and the tent of meeting was a bronze laver. Priests had to cleanse their hands and feet here before offering sacrifices or entering the tent. Within the inner tent stood one of the most recognized elements of the whole tabernacle, the menorah, a lampstand with three branches that rose on each side to create a total of seven lamps. This solid gold lampstand weighed about 75 pounds. Each lamp was a small cup that the priest would fill with oil to fuel the light. Each branch in the middle of the shaft had almond blossoms. The menorah served a most practical purpose. It was the only source of light in the tent, an eternal light that was never to go out. Also in the tent stood a wooden table covered with gold. On it was to always remain the bread of the presence. The bread of the presence symbolizes God's desire to be with his people. Incense was to burn continuously on the altar. God instructed the priests to replenish the incense every evening and morning. A curtain separated the holy place from the holy of holies. The menorah, the altar of incense, and the bread of the presence were all in the holy place, but outside this veil. Like the curtains covering the tent of meeting, this veil was blue, purple, and scarlet, with cherubim, a kind of angel. Beyond the veil at the far end of the tabernacle was the ark. The ark was a wooden box covered with gold. It was nearly four feet long. Its width and height were about two feet, three inches. Like the altar, the ark had rings and poles so the Israelites could carry it as they traveled. Within the ark were the two stone tablets on which God had written the Ten Commandments. 
Later, it contained a sample of manna and the rod that bloomed to reinforce Aaron's leadership. The mercy seat was the ark's lid and features prominently on Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. At each end stood a cherub facing the other with its wings outspread. This cover was made of solid gold. The priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on this mercy seat, symbolizing that the nation's sins were covered for another year. While only the high priest would see it, the mercy seat was the key symbol of atonement that God would forgive his people. Though daily sacrifices on the altar were necessary for payment of sin, it was only through the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement that the stain of sin was washed away. While priests had to make repeated sacrifices, one man offered a sacrifice to atone for sin once and for all. When Jesus, the Messiah, died, he sprinkled his own blood before God, securing atonement forever for all who would trust in him. Jesus cleanses us, makes us pure, and enables us to rightly approach the Lord. He tore the veil that kept distance between Israel and the Lord. God dwelled among the Israelites through a tent. Now, he dwells within his people through the Spirit. Israel is in the news a lot. But do you really know what to make of the conflicts and controversies in the Middle East? What about the history and strife of the Israeli and Palestinian territories? Is there a solution to restore relationships between the Jewish and Arab people? Well, these are a few of the questions several well-known Jewish theologians, pastors, and speakers address in the book, What Should We Think About Israel? Get all the facts in one clear resource when you go online to chosenpeople.com radio. That's chosenpeople.com radio. The book is our free gift to you this month just for reaching out and saying hello. Or ask for the book, What Should We Think About Israel? Edited by J. Randall Price when you call 888-2-YESHUA. That number again is 888-293-7482. Thanks for reaching out. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Are Jesus and Yeshua the same person? If you read more about Jesus from different sources, you will probably come across another name, Yeshua. It may surprise you to learn that Yeshua is another name for Jesus. We have heard commenters say Jesus and Yeshua are not the same person or that Yeshua is not his true name. We hope to clear up some of that misinformation. Jesus is Jewish and Yeshua is his Hebrew name. Yeshua means salvation. It is related to the biblical name Joshua or Yehoshua, which means the Lord saves. When Jesus was on earth, he lived in first century Israel during the time when Rome ruled much of Europe, Asia, and Africa. The common languages of the Jewish people in that day were Greek and the Semitic languages of Aramaic and Hebrew. When Jesus was walking around in Israel, his Jewish brothers and sisters would likely have called him Yeshua when they were speaking their native tongue. If Yeshua was how people called him, then where did the word Jesus come from? Jesus is the English transliteration of Yeshua's Greek name by way of Latin. Got that? 
In Greek, his name would have been Jesus, and the early Latin translations followed this pronunciation. Medieval Latin translators often wrote his name as Jesus with a J. At that time, the Latin J had the same sound as the Greek letter Iota. When later interpreters translated the Bible from Latin to English, they retained the J. Of course, in modern English, the J sounds a bit different from the Latin J, which sounded like a Y. So that is how Jesus in Greek became Jesus in English. If Yeshua was the original name of Jesus in his native tongue, why do so few people call him by that name today? The answer is simply convention. The medieval Latin and English names gained widespread usage, obscuring the original Hebrew. However, with the amazing increase of Jewish people coming to faith in Jesus today, many have rediscovered his Hebrew name, which is becoming more commonly used. Many people use it to emphasize his Jewishness, which we should never forget. So, should we call him Jesus or Yeshua? Of course, if you are a Messianic Jewish person living in Israel, you would most likely call him by his Hebrew name, Yeshua. Ultimately, it comes down to personal preference and your native tongue. They are both his name, one from Latin and English and one from Hebrew. We could also call him by the Greek, Jesus, Spanish, Jesus, or whatever his name in your native language is. It's up to you which one you like better, since they all refer to the same person, just in different languages. Yeshua is the name you will hear the most from many Jewish followers of Jesus because it highlights the fact he is Jewish. For us at Chosen People Ministries, we use Yeshua and Jesus interchangeably because we believe that these two names speak of our beloved Jewish Messiah, who came to bring salvation to both Jewish and Gentile people alike. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you'd like to learn more about this weekly program, then please let me encourage you to stop by our website and explore. You'll find us online at chosenpeople.com radio. We've got a variety of resources available, and we even have a free gift available for you just for reaching out. We sure do, Bobby. J. Randall Price has edited an eye-opening and engaging compilation called What We Should Think About Israel. It's designed to help us separate fact from fiction when it comes to the conflicts and controversies in the Middle East. And we're going to send that to you free of charge when you reach out today. So just go to chosenpeople.com slash radio to request the book, and you can even read a chapter I wrote in that book about Jerusalem. And then if you would, please take a moment to let us know that you're listening and that you're praying for the ministry and for Jewish people around the world. The Bible tells us that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful, and we believe that your prayers empower us to reach Jewish people around the globe. And so we welcome your partnership. You can also let us know that you're partnering with us in prayer by writing to us at Chosen People Ministries, 241 East 51st Street, New York, New York, 10022. That's 241 East 51st Street, New York, New York, 10022. Or you can call us at 888-293-7482. That's 888-2-YESHUA. And don't forget to ask for your free copy of J. Randall Price's book, What Should We Think About Israel? And now let's wrap up today's program with the ironic benediction.
Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'er panavelecha v'yichunecha. Yisadonai panavelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. V'yasem lecha shalom. V'yasem lecha shalom. V'yasem lecha May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.